So I am recording this dojo during a very special time. It actually is the anniversary seven years ago that I joined the Center for Independent Living of North Central Florida as the director. And on that same day, this anniversary, a very well-known person passed away that has been very influential in my life and in, in forming my philosophy and, and view about the world and myself in it. Um, Dr. Wayne Dyer passed away on the same day I came on to the Center for Independent Living, and it has me now reflecting a lot about his teachings. Uh, these, his work uh, is very expansive. He um, got very popular, I believe it was in the 70s, with a book that he wrote that went on to sell millions and millions of copies, and then he, he had a long career of many, many books, very profound books and teachings along the way. Um, he has a long run on the channel PBS of giving these hour or so talks about life and spirituality and philosophy and how to you know, be the, become the best you know, version of ourselves possible. And uh, yeah, he, he, he knows a lot of people. He studied under Abraham Maslow, um, was a professor at a university. Part of his story is that he was orphaned and grew up in an orphanage for the first 10 years of his life. And he's just an amazing person. And uh, I uh, constantly going back to his teachings and, and trying to put them into practice in my life. So today I thought it would be good to share a couple of his principles on how to live the good life and my thoughts about them today on The Dojo. So the first principle that Dr. Dyer talks about when speaking is having a mind that is open to everything and attached to nothing. And this one is huge. Today, nowadays, a lot of people couch this into the, you know, the growth mindset, which that it sounds like uh, it is, you know, open to everything and attached to nothing. And a fixed mindset that would be very closed and very attached to certain things and being uh, very rigid. And he, he goes on to say that, you know, we are born into this world uh, in a certain place, in a certain family, in a certain culture that really shapes our perspectives and how we see the world. And it's very easy to get trapped into that very narrow experience of life. And to try and be open to perhaps how we may perceive the world if we are born in a different place in the world, in a different family, in a different culture, and what that would be like. And trying to really keep that open mind uh, in, about how we would see the world if we were to switch places with somebody. And I find that to be super profound, especially when I encounter other people who have different backgrounds than I do, different experiences, of course, in the world of disability. This is super important because oftentimes we're encountering people that have different abilities, 
um, grew up in different places with different families, different backgrounds, and how important that is just for me, at least to, to keep that in mind as I'm meeting people and, uh, you know, wondering, you know, or inquiring about how they see the world. So, so very important. And, and this is where I feel like we, we all have something to teach one another because, you know, the places that we come from being different than, than ours. So I, I, I love that open to everything and attached to nothing. And that, he often says too, and I think this is a, a, an amazing quote. But he says, "You know that no one knows enough to be a pessimist." And you know how easy it is to be a pessimist. And and you know when we when we think about things that are just like it's hard to wrap our head around and understand. So the placebo effect, this consistent thing that we see in science and research, where one group's given you know the actual medicine that can improve health and the other one's given like a sugar pill that does nothing yet in the group that is given the sugar pill it's like you know a third i think is 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 around the average where the placebo effect shows an impact will improve the health outcomes like the group that received the actual medication and this has been shown in actual surgeries where you know i'm talking like hip or knee replacements are given to one group while another group doesn't get the surgery. Um, and they go under the anesthesia and everything else, but don't actually get the surgery. And same thing will happen where the group that didn't get the surgery has this remarkable recovery, the knee's better, the hips are better, uh, et cetera. And, and there's other examples about how this placebo effect works. And this is just like, who knows? What, what that is the power of the mind, you know, beliefs. Uh, it could be a lot of different things. And, you know, um, the, the, when we, when I, you know, try to think about, you know, the quantum world, you know, and, and the understandings of it that, um, that, that I try to <laughs> wrap my head around, it's just mind boggling uh, how this world, uh, you, microscopic, beyond microscopic, subatomic world works. It's just beyond me, and it's fascinating. And then going to the opposite extreme of that, the, the macrocosmic, huge, uh, potentially infinite universe that's out there and all that's in it. Like, no one knows enough to be a pessimist. Like, there's so much within these realities that are just, it's hard to wrap my head around it. And so I love that idea that no one knows enough to be a pessimist. And that can help me, you know, stop dead in my tracks when I'm, like, uh, disbelieving things and, you know, not taking it into account. And that can't be right because of my understanding. And it just shows me how, uh, like, there's another quote that comes to mind that there's our island of knowledge grows, so does the shore of our ignorance. So the more I learn, the more I realize that I do not know. And so no one knows enough to be a pessimist is something that um, he draws our mind to. And and he, he often will quote when talking about this principle uh, from Emerson, uh, who says, I wish to say that I think and I feel today with the proviso that I may contradict it all tomorrow. So this is, uh, I I think, a really awesome quote from Emerson that that Dr. Dyer shares, because, you know, in saying that, you know, what I think and say today, you know, may change and I may change tomorrow for what I, you know, have to think and say uh, or feel the next day that knowing that, you know, giving ourselves that space to 
to say, this is what I believe and think today, but tomorrow it could all change. Uh, depending on getting more information and more data and, and how important this is, especially in, you know, nowadays where, uh, especially in public discourse, you know, people are uh, finding the need to be right and make others wrong. Whew. How humbling uh, or refreshing would it be to hear people say, well, you know, I, I, w- I did say that yesterday, but, you know, today with more information, experience, knowledge, et cetera, um, thinking this way or feeling this way. It's completely contradicting what I had to say the day before. So that one's huge. Um, attachments to nothing. I, I've certainly on dojos have talked about how attachments can lead to suffering. And, you know, this is certainly true in my life. Attachments to people I love, especially, or attachments to needing to accomplish things, reputation, um, what others think about us. And all these other kind of things can be, uh, you know, very hard to let go of and to come come from a place where we can still um, you know want and aspire and achieve and do these things but not necessarily attached to the outcome but hopefully more the the, the process and uh, as I mentioned earlier you know how many how many of us are attached to, to the need to be right how many of us are attached to worrying about what other people think how many of us are attached to people in relationships and you know are codependent in those relationships I mean I, I'm guilty of all this stuff hundred uh, percent and uh, Wayne Dyer quotes Anthony DeMello and, and I don't have that quote handy but um, and this is its own podcast for sure, but Anthony DeMello, a very philosophical and, and, and spiritual uh, teacher who passed away, I believe, in the 90s, um, you know, it said, you know, if you're able to say, you know, to the person you love that you're in an intimate relationship with that I love you so much that I leave you free to do as you choose. And, and, and it goes into a few other uh, details about basically unconditional love and, and not possessing somebody. Uh, to the place of where we would be attached to them. Huge. That one, uh, put a pin in that one for another podcast. That's a high level, um, you know, kind of place to come from. And the open to everything and attached to nothing also points to this place of not being offended. You know, oftentimes when we are choosing to be offended by what other people might have said or done or just, you know, a situation in life, um, it's usually coming because, uh, we're attached to something, and uh, to get disattached to it, uh, I think is, is huge and, and, and very important uh, that uh, we end up really examining, you know, our attachments because oftentimes it's our opinion, and someone might, you know, have a different opinion that contradicts that, and letting go of those attachments might be very important, and, and this can be very uh, specific too to people with disabilities. The fact that this can cause a lot of a lot of suffering uh, for us that, you know, could be justified in some ways by people's rationality of saying, well, they said this to me and I'm offended and, and how that could be really, really hurtful. Letting go of that is a very important process, certainly one that I'm working on. And a thing, too, which I, which I find to, to, to be related to this, uh, perhaps either being offended or just plain suffering is uh, ruminating, say, over a certain situation that we're in. Say, because I do have a disability, I could be really upset by the fact that I, I do have a disability. And I'm, you know, attaching myself to wishing, you know, that I didn't have one, thinking about what my life would be like if I didn't, and wishing that, you know, uh, I didn't could, could definitely be a place of that. Attaching ourselves to what society says that we should be. Oftentimes with people with disabilities, 
you know, the ableism, you know, aspect of things will kick in. So, you know, people and society or culture, you know, may see us in a certain light in a certain way. And we start seeing and examining ourselves in that certain way. And we start getting attached to what society says that we should be doing or what we should be achieving and what we should be accomplishing and doing. And we start to identify with that. And it doesn't really line up with the values that we might have. There could be a lot of uh, suffering that goes on with that. Um, you know, society says we should act, behave, and, and conduct ourselves in this way, especially like, you know, well, you have a disability. You're not uh, someone that should be able to, you know, work or go to school or accomplish things or participate or be included um, and or, or need help and my assistance and to be pitied. And, you know, so um, it's very, I think, hard sometimes to break out of that mindset or at least be aware of it as it's coming into our reality and our perspectives. And, and, and if we're not, if I'm not, I can start getting attached to, you know, the, this impressions of what I should be doing based on other people. And again, if I'm doing that and I'm attaching myself to that, that could create uh, a lot of uh, suffering in my own life. So being very aware of that is huge. And, you know, I, I often think about when society says we can't do things or it's hard then to imagine a, a life where we're, we're able to uh, do things. Something that really jumps out to me regarding all of this that might make it more clear of where I'm heading here is, uh, you know, so the Youth Leadership Forum just happened. Uh, it's an event that uh, you know, high school students with disabilities uh, get together in our state's capital, Tallahassee, and they, they encounter uh, one another and uh, really great role models come and present and talk to them and they learn about leadership and um, all kinds of other kind of things. And the common thing that I, I hear from the participants are that they get to meet people like that, you know, are, are 10, 20, 30 years older than them who have disabilities, and they're, they're doing these amazing things. And, and they're doing things that, for them themselves, they've never imagined like they would be capable of doing, but encountering somebody with a disability who they can relate to um, that are, you know, just doing really great things in their lives, they all of a sudden now wake up to thinking, I can do this. You know, I've been attached to this can't do fixed mindset that my life is very limited. And now I'm encountering somebody who's achieving all these remarkable things, has the same disability I do, and the world opens. And it opens because they uh, are realizing that they are attached to these very self-limiting beliefs. So being open to everything and attached to nothing. That's one principle. Uh, there from Dr. Wayne Dyer. And, and the second principle, and this will be the principle that I end the dojo here with, this one's, this one may be my, my favorite uh, that he teaches. He teaches many, many principles. But uh, this one uh, says, there are no justified resentments. He got this when he was attending an Alcoholics uh, Anonymous meeting. Uh, he was, I guess, leading the meeting. He had at one point in his life uh, been drinking and uh, gave it up. And he gave it up the day he went to visit his father's grave. As I said at the top of this, he was an orphan. And he was orphaned uh, because his dad left his mother. Uh, and I think his mother had like many, many children with this man. And uh, she couldn't care for all of her children. So Wayne, uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer, was you know, put into an orphanage, like from birth till 10 years old, grew up in an orphanage. And so he grew up with uh, a lot of resentment in his heart towards his father. 
and he went, he found out uh, that his father had passed away, I think in his, I think he was already a professor at a university at this point. And, you know, he still harbored a lot of resentments and grievances towards his father. And he talks about how he uh, once found out that he had passed away, found out where his grave was, went to uh, the cemetery where his grave was with the intention of urinating on this man's grave. Like he had so much resentment in his heart towards him. Uh, but when he got there, he said, you know, as he, as he came there with this kind of malicious intention, um, that his, something happened. Something came over him. Something whispered in his voice to let go, to let go. And, and, and he, you know, talks about how he just took space right there, had empathy, felt that he did the best he can, given that the place he was in, um, and just sent love to him. And shortly after that, like I think within days, he checked himself into a hotel room and wrote the first book uh, that really launched his career, that one in the 70s. I think it was called The Erogenous Zones. And it went on to sell like multiple millions of copies. And he banged that book out in three or four days. He stopped drinking. He uh, began uh, taking care of his body. And he, he claims that that is the point in which his whole life turned around, you know, and, and, you know, good things started coming his direction. Uh, but up until that point where he harbored all these different resentments, he was living a very limited life. So um, this was something that, you know, he found central to improving his life and became very central in his teachings. And he goes on to say, like, in No Justified, you know, resentment, this means not resenting, you know, the people that have, you know, lied to us, the people that have cheated us or cheated on us. This means not resenting the people that might have bullied us, that uh, those of us, say, with uh, disabilities might have been stigmatized by, the politician on the news that constantly uh, says really terrible and horrible and does terrible things uh, from our opinions. This means you know, the person that cut you off in traffic. This means the, the, the person that unjustifiably fired us. I could go on and on of examples uh, that we all have in our lives to point to people that might have done bad things towards us. And this principle of there are no justified resentments, that family member that, you know, did something terrible or said something bad or conducted themselves in a way that we don't approve of, this means no justified resentments towards anybody. And he uses the example of how we don't die from the snake bite. So everything I just mentioned there were snake bites, the lying, the cheating, the stealing, um, saying and doing bad things. That's the bite. But he says what we die from is the poison from the snake bite. And in this metaphor, he is, I believe, alluding to that it's the resentment from the bite. It's the, res the, the grievances that we end up creating out of those resentments. The ruminating over that snake bite is what kills us. And it kind of does remind me of there, there is a very famous saying that it's uh, resentment is harboring you know, bad feelings towards somebody else while drinking poison. It's only hurting us. And, and, and then, you know, for myself, you know, I, I start to de deconstruct, like, where does a resentment really come from? You know, yes, those real experiences might have happened, but it's also 
as the Stokes would say, my judgment of that situation that happened, that's also layered on to the building of a resentment. So a situation happens, I judge the situation as negative, bad, and because of that judgment, where do I go with it? Naturally, well, blame. As, as the Grand Master in Thor Ragnarok says, you know what I like about being upset? Blame. I get to blame people. You know, so from judgment to blame. Blame. Why is blame so bad? Well, Dr. Dyer will tell us that blame is bad because when we, you know, cite other people for being the responsible for why the bad things that are going on in our life are happening, we then exempt ourselves from any responsibility for taking care of the situation. So if we're assigning blame to other people for why we are thinking bad thoughts, why we're angry, why we're sad, why we're uh, all these other kind of things, while we're blaming them, we no longer have the power uh, to be able to fix the situation. And the only way that that situation is going to get fixed is if other people uh, take action and change. And, and the powerlessness in that, basically saying, I have no control in this situation. It's all their fault. And the only way that this is going to get fixed is, is if they fix themselves and fix the situation. And, and so blame, in the, it's so much easier to just blame others than it is to look at ourselves and say, well, what can I do about this situation? Situation happened. Can't go back in time and change it. Uh, but what can I do? How can I respond in the way that I think, the way that I say the words that I say, and the way that I behave? It is so much harder to do that. It's much easier to blame. And then when I can blame other people, then, you know, hey, well, I can't control it. It's their fault. I have no responsibility in fixing this versus, all right, I'm not going to blame. I'm going to take the responsibility here. I'm going to take the control to be able to say, I can do something about this situation. And I see this in the world of disability a lot of times. And, you know, it could be factually true. You know, there's a lot of inequities in education, employment and housing, uh, health outcomes. And we can deconstruct why those you know, inequities exist. And I can blame the system. I can blame people. I can blame history. I can blame all these other kind of things. And, and as one very great advocate and, and, and person that was trying to make change in these areas said, is like basically uh, when we start blaming and identifying all these other kind of things, we, we get really good at admiring the problem, but doing nothing to fix it. And I feel like I, like we're all susceptible to this, but you know, especially like you know, those of us that do have disabilities, and we can point to these concrete realities, sure. But at the end of the day, if, if we're just assigning blame for all those things that could really be the reasons why things are happening and we're not taking action, that's not good. We just stay stuck. And then where does that blame go? It builds up a resentment that we may then harbor about life and other people and other kind of situations. And, and that, that just causes harm. And what Dr. Wayne Dyer will, will tie into this is, uh, is a quote that he shares from a man named uh, Patanjali, who's a yogi that was, I think, you know, thousands of years ago, uh, wrote down lots of very profound things and, and had a, a lot of wisdom to share. And Dr. Dyer quotes Patanjali uh, in this sense uh, of, you know, how we can harbor resentments and, and ill will towards other people. Um, but he has something here, and Patanjali says, if you become steadfast 
and your abstention in thoughts of harm towards others, all living creatures will cease to feel enmity in your presence. So if we can abstain from harmful thoughts, ill will towards other people, all living creatures will cease to feel enmity in our presence. So if we can rid ourselves, at least according to Patanjali, from having ill will and harmful thoughts and all these other kind of things towards other people, people that we encounter will cease to have the enmity. So enmity could be like, you know, um, negative feelings, uh, hostility, um, and ill will themselves towards us. This might sound woo-woo, but I fully believe that when people have ill will in their hearts, even if they're not expressing it, saying it, and all those other kind of things, we emanate, I believe, an energy, um, a frequency. Emotions are viral. We can pick up on, you know, I think somebody's mood, even when they're not saying anything. And sometimes that can invite hostility towards people um, that may not be saying or doing or anything else like that. Or people can get a sense, you know, the, the, the energy that we're putting out there into the world. So can I abstain from harmful thoughts towards other people? And if I can do that, how is that going to shift my relationships with other people that I encounter, whether, whether just in passing at stores or, or uh, those that I work with or those that are, are very close to me in my world. And, and so I'm seeking to do more of that, you know, getting rid of uh, harmful thoughts towards anybody or any kind of feelings or any kind of situations and to be really thinking about that. And, and it's funny, uh, he tells us, <laughs> he does tell a story. He was into psychology and he had clients and he met with them and he was talking about you know, like one of them or, uh, you know, maybe he was a metaphor for all of them, but yeah, you know, they would come to him and talk about their problems that they're having in their life. And then towards the end, Dr. Dyer would say, well, I'm going to write you a prescription. And they're like, oh, thank you. You know, I'm, I'm wanting, you know, something to really, you know, help alleviate, you know, some of the stuff that's going on. And then Dr. Dyer would say, okay, so this prescription prescription that I'm writing here, I want you to give to your mother-in-law. This prescription right here, I want you to give to this uh, co-worker that's just annoying you. I want this prescription right here, I want you to give to that driver that's cut you off in traffic when you end up getting caught. This prescription, it keeps going on. And the person's like, what? I thought the prescription was for me. And he's like, no. Well, obviously, everything going on in your life is not your fault. It's all these other people. So why would I prescribe you medication? They're the ones that need it, right? <laughs> So again, uh, I think he does a masterful way of saying like, we got to take responsibility and ownership and not blame other people for the way that these things are uh, in our lives and come back to taking responsibility for that. And, and he really starts to end up couching all this, not, not, not only that resentments are never justified, but that we need to perhaps meet these things in our life that we could be subject to having resentments towards uh, with love. So pay the bad with good. You know, when, when hate appears, send love. Tall order. But I think one of the highest levels that we can live in our life. Think about all the people that would give us good reasons to, blame, to judge, to blame, to complain, build resentments and grievances towards, and send them love. Hard thing to do. It's easier to, to love those people that are nice to us, that are kind to us, that are in our lives, that are helping us to become better people. But what about these other people that keep showing up or that we see on the TV that we can't stand? 
and we have toxic feelings towards, send them love. Have empathy. Pay the bad with good. Such a tall order. Mother Teresa, he explains, Dr. Wayne Dyer, um, was approached uh, when the Vietnam War was occurring. And they said, you know, Mother Teresa, come with us. We are going to have a, a, a march against the war. She said, no. But if you have a march for peace, I will be there. Such wisdom. like So our orientation to things and how we perceive them, you know, can be everything in this, this teaching of no justified resentments. How, what is it in, that's in our minds and hearts? How are we approaching the situation? Well, uh, at first glance, you know, uh, a march against the war. So it's almost like war against war. You know, how many times have we heard the, the war on poverty, the war on drugs, you know, the war on cancer? You know, uh, Eckhart Tolle even says that, you know, inevitably, these are all destined to fail because it's really using the same tactics on itself. And it'll ultimately destroy itself. But if we have a different orientation of meeting peace with fill in the blank, the war, the poverty, uh, the disease, um, and the inequities, if we have peace in our heart, um, which is not easy, uh, we'll be able to bring peace to whatever we're looking for. Because if we don't have peace in our hearts, how can we bring, how can we be peacemakers in this world? And how easy is it for us, those of us that do have disabilities, uh, to be at non-peace? Uh, it's very easy because most of us, you likely have experienced things that other people with disabilities haven't, the challenges and, and, and uh, some of the things that we encounter in our lives that other people without disabilities don't have to encounter uh, can, can uh, put us in a place where we're subject to not having peace in our lives. So, so uh, again, our, our orientation to the negative things that we perceive as being negative or judge as being negative, uh, the, the highest calling here is to meet that with peace and kindness and love in our heart. I am so working on that uh, myself. Uh, but how awesome it is because it gives us an opportunity to become better people. It's almost like we need those people that show up in our lives that um, you know, we may have difficulties with because they're going to help us evolve and become better people. We need those situations, those inequities to exist because that gives us a chance to evolve and become better people. Like we need perhaps systems um, to perhaps not be working the way that they should be so that we have an opportunity to evolve and become better people and help others along the way to doing these kind of things. And it's not that I'm, I'm happy that those people keep showing up or situations happen or the systems exist. No, not, not necessarily happy about it. But if it gives a purpose and a meaning uh, for their existence, then that helps me at least show up every day trying to make the world a better place. You know, this can be, I think, very, very important, uh, in, in especially in the, the world of disabilities, because it, it, there have been times in my life where I've resented having a disability. So no justified resentments, man. That's where I've come to the place of like, okay, instead of resenting that I have a disability, what are all the wonderful things in my life that have come into it because I've had a disability? I've had amazing social relationships. I've had a, you know, gratitude. I've had to learn to be humble, adapt, um, endure, persevere. All these wonderful things that aren't fun necessarily to have to learn, but hey, you know, it's better than resenting the disability. So you're seeing the virtues that can come out of it, you know, and all the different situations that are caused by disability can be seen, if I choose to, 
as a positive versus someone that's negative and judging it badly and, and harboring these kind of resentments uh, that we might might be able to, you know, uh, let go of and hopefully not have. And so, you know, this is one of the reasons why I just really feel that this no justified resentments is, is perhaps one of his uh, best principles. And there's many others that he teaches and that he brings into the world. I highly encourage you to get into uh, Dr. Dyer's world. Uh, there's so many others that he brings that, uh, for me at least, it resonates. I, I see how a, a lot of these, uh, like the ones I mentioned, a mind that is open to everything and attached to nothing, no justified resentments, are, are helpful universally for, <laughs> I think, all man, you know, humankind, uh, but particularly for people with disabilities. And, uh, you know, I uh, really find that having people that share wise thoughts about life and, and with the meaning and the purpose of it is just so very important. It gives me a foundation uh, to really work on as I, I go through daily lives and the challenges uh, that we're in. Of course, the times that we're in right now, especially challenging uh, with, you know, pandemics and economic, you know, unrest and, you know, there's the things that are going on in our neighborhoods and in society. It can be very easy to become that pessimist, um, but we don't know enough to be a pessimist, as Dr. Dyer would say. So I hope that you listening have some kind of someone in your life, whether you know them or don't know them. This is why I love the age that we live in. Like, I don't know Dr. Dyer. And uh, he's been an incredible role model to me and uh, just been reflecting on him recently uh, as it is the anniversary of his passing, the anniversary of me coming on to the center. And certainly a lot of his teachings have helped me, I believe, uh, become a, a better person and fulfill the role that I've been so honored and blessed to have here at the center uh, with my family. And uh, just very grateful for, for Dr. Dyer putting his mind and heart out into the world and uh, helping uh, so many people. He certainly uh, continues to help me. I hope you have such a person in your life or at least a philosophical and or dare I say spiritual foundation in which you can rely on so that you can live a life that is upward and onward. Thanks for listening to the Independent Life Podcast, brought to you by the Center for Independent Living of North Central Florida. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you know anyone who might benefit from listening, share this podcast and invite them to subscribe too. For questions, suggestions, or if you have a story you'd like to share, please email us at cilncf.org at gmail.com or call us at 352 352- 378-7474. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, support, advocate, and empower each other to live the independent life.